to the Blood Podcast. Music and more with Bushy and Metal Mike. Sit back, crack open a cold brew, break out your step, light it all in, while we do our retrospective views and discussions of all things music, food, and entertainment. If you're Metal Mike, Metal Towns. So without further ado, here's Bushy and Metal Mike. All right, this is the Plug Podcast. I am Bushy. Metal Mike's not with me. I've actually been on vacation, but as a special treat because we just passed the anniversary, two-year anniversary of the uh, late, great Eddie Van Halen's passing. We decided to bring you a little something Metal Mike put together with all the DJs at ThatMetalStation.com. Here's a little memorial tribute to Eddie Van Halen. That's when Van Halen's self-titled debut album hit the stores, and it really kind of turned the music industry on its head. Do you guys agree? There were sounds that he was making with his guitar that nobody had ever heard before. The sounds on that record were a lot of years of experimentation and tearing apart guitars and opening up amplifiers and getting electrocuted and thrown across the, <laughs> you know, kicked, kicked around and, and uh, um, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was a lot of, uh, by the time the first record came out, we had worked so hard to make that record, to get to that point. Uh, because don't forget, we, uh, being a rock and roll band in 1977, 78, uh, it's kind of what it's like today. Uh, except back then, it was punk and disco uh, that was, you know, uh, dominating the charts. There's no rock and roll to be heard of. Um, so for us to succeed in that, uh, amongst or in the middle of that, and uh, anyway, but the, the, the sounds. Uh, let me start by saying, I I was never happy. I guess what drives me to. Um, 
to tear things apart uh, is some of it is necessity and some of it is just experimenting because I'm always pushing things past where they're supposed to be. It's, uh, I hate to bring up Spinal Tap, but you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, while they're going to 11 at the at the time, I was already going to 15. <laughs> you know, I was I was already way past that. Uh, but so anyway, what I really love about uh, a Fender guitar was the vibrato bar, uh, except they only came with single coil pickups, which at high volume they squeal and they're very thin sounding, unless you use some kind of distortion pedal or whatever, which I could not afford. You know? uh, and there's the other company, uh, Gibson, that made a Les Paul, uh, Les Paul is a dear friend of mine also. Um, made humbucking pickups which were similar to these. Uh, they canceled the hum and it has a, fat, a much fatter sound. So uh, I proceeded to find a company that made knockoff uh, bodies and necks of fenders, a uh, company called Boogie Bodies, and uh, I went out there and said, uh, how much for a body? He goes, oh, you don't want one of those. And I went on. The guy goes, there's seconds. I'm going, I thought he meant those are next to be made. No, what he meant, what he meant was those are junk. We, we, we can't sell those because they have knots and, 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 you know, they're damaged. I said, great, I'll take one. So, <laughs> so I, I bought a $50, $50 uh, body and $75 neck, and I proceeded to take a chisel and, and a hammer and make, make a hole big enough for a Gibson pickup to put in there. And, of course, that pickup had to come out, out of a guitar somewhere. So I ruined that guitar <laughs> by ripping the pickup out, but I knew I was on to something. So I, I screwed the pickup straight into the wood, and uh, a Stratocaster actually has three pickups, and uh, so I routed out the body and crammed the, the humbucking pickup, and mind you, everything was unsoldered and just laying there. It, it had three knobs and two pickups over here, and I had one pickup that I wanted in there, and I go, okay, now how am I gonna hook this back up? I had no clue how to hook it back up. So I wondered, I wondered if it would work if I just hooked the, the humbucking pickup straight up to one knob, and it worked. So I just ripped everything out, threw it away, and made my own pick guard to cover the holes, and that's what ended up being that guitar. started playing in clubs together, you're, you're bringing up a thought here that a lot of people don't think about. The ideal, like in a movie, is that you're always thinking about the arena stage, and that's the only thing that's on your mind as you're working as a musician. That, that, that greater idea is always there looming consciously. Where I don't think it was that for us. It yeah. certainly wasn't for me. It went in very short little stages, like one day, 
I'm going to be the king of Gazaris. Right. <laughs> one day we'll be the top guys at the Star Wars. Hey, with us, it started out with one day we went to practice piano. <laughs> right? From, from there, it went to, okay, he started playing guitar, I, I started playing drums, then we swapped because he had better on drums than me, and it went on from there. It, it, but you're right, it was small steps. It wasn't this big dream that we had, it was basically uh, the need to survive. It was in... Oh, but it was great fun. Oh, yeah. I know, the beauty of it, man. You see, you have your instrument, you set up somewhere, and you have this this thing where you can make the people in the room dance and have a good time. Doing you know, what you like. Uh, it's, it's great, yeah. Obviously, spent a lot of time on your stage act. Um, it's a pretty dynamic stage act. Uh, Alex, can you tell us a little bit about how that's developed? Uh, by playing five hours a night, five days a week at different bars and clubs, sweating it out, and uh, so-called paying your dues. Yeah. We used to play about uh, yeah, five hours of really hard grinding rock and roll, no slow songs at all, and it just uh, it carried on over to uh, our original music.
that you can't remove it whether you like it or not. You know, like in the old club days. <laughs> I remember you guys going, why can't you make it sound like a damn record? I'm going, sorry. <laughs> that was merely a financial <laughs> uh, consideration. That was a financial imperative See, there you go that we had That's to struggle with. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you, you know, in the club days, it was difficult to sound like other people. So I think it's inherently in, in all of us, not necessarily every musician, you know, but I think just like you, only sound like you. You know, some singers can I, sound like anybody. I consciously try to sound like other people still yeah, you to can. this day. And neither can I. And, and, neither I, can I. and I laugh when nobody gets it because to me it's just so obvious I'm imitating right. so and so. But nobody else hears it. You know, <laughs> it's like if you caught me, I go, it's an homage. You know, it's, uh, it's in tribute. But nobody ever caught me because no matter what, they go, Oh, that's very Dave. <laughs> and I'm walking away going, no, man, that's Ziggy Stardust. I mean, what are I you talking about? That's the guy in the Stones. You don't, you didn't get that. It's almost funny to Dave, me. come on. I mean, when we used to play the clubs, we sounded pretty silly playing some of that stuff. It sounded... Different. It's, different. It's, yeah. It's, different. It sounded like... Well, like, it's your thing. It sounded like Black Sabbath playing, <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> you know? It, it was almost like a... Uh, it didn't sound anything like a record. Clearly, it didn't. Yeah. But that's one of the attractive things. We were representing a, a neighborhood, and it was adding just maybe a little bit of girl-friendliness to a heavy rock sound. We're a hard rock band from the 70s and 60s yeah. kind of a thing. You know, um, when we played the club songs like uh, uh, It's Your Thing and Get Down Tonight was another one there. It was kind of like a reality series game show challenge. Yeah. Like, let's take the song with the most brass and the most chicks in the background yeah. and the most rhythm section, and see how we would do it. And yeah. see how a three-piece would do it. But you remember, we would always try to do the solo the same as the song the first time, then we'd do another verse, and then we'd do the Ed solo. Yeah. You, re you recollect? Oh, yeah. And then it would, you began to create yeah. within, you know, whatever. It we worked well. well. We, we worked a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. We did five 45-minute sets a lot. I think a lot of people enjoyed our take on things. Oh, totally. <laughs> well, we also had this, that spirit, you know. Yeah. If you if you watch a lot of uh, the old dancers on, on uh, from the movies in the 30s and the 40s, their spirit. Is you know that's in a lot of what we do. You know a lot of that vibe. Um, I think we're one of the bands that really still. We talk about having to make the bread, and we talk about our hard lessons in. Uh, uh, well, you got to balance out the rent with the uh, the vision. But uh, very few of our colleagues still enjoy playing. Oh yeah. You know, do you feel that? Very very few of the guys yeah. who've get past 10 years it seems like a lot of hard work in there you feel that no, it's, if, you, if you enjoy playing you're always gonna you're always going to improve you, you might not get faster you might not get uh, louder whatever the whatever the, the definition of better is but you will become more refined yeah. and when you can do that that is a challenge you know you can continue to learn and and make those that, that's what keeps it interesting well, you have to because enjoy doing it not necessarily. No. <laughs> I, mean, I, I see a lot of folks out oh, there. Oh, no, I know other people. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, uh, we still enjoy what we do. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't do it. What would you do? What else would you do? I don't know. 
You've never done anything for a living that, but well, music. That's, that's, kind of what, that's kind of what keeps me enjoying doing it. <laughs> Skies. But you were young and bold, and baby, didn't that change with a wink of your eye? Now no one's talking about those crazy days gone by. No one talks about that. Now, Michael, uh, music's always changing. You know, in some cases, it looked as if rock and roll and that grinding stuff was sort of going to be sort of uh, perhaps sort of fall back and then there's a new wave and that and yet the hard grinding rock and roll has really come out in the last say six or seven months I mean uh -huh. did it worry you as a group that, that with all this changing going on oh no it's you know everybody's got got it a little of it you know in themselves and it's you know we just uh, you know that's you all know. we do <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> so in the 70s we're the new thing you met, you met all, you all went to school or something like that? Yeah, well, we were all going to different schools and uh, living in a generally the same area of California. None of us are from California. That's how come we don't sound like the Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, we just wanted to get discovered, and LA is a good place to do it. You know, there's a lot of music, a lot of rock bands, a lot of everything going on in Los Angeles. Right now, I must ask you, you were just saying that in California there are a lot of rock bands. Um, how did you finally get a recording contract and, and, and break through into, you know, into, into the big time? We got discovered. The president of uh, Warner Brothers came down and saw us playing in a bar one night. We were playing for free. And he came with our producer, Ted Templeman, who, uh, who else does he produce? Oh, a variety uh, of Doobie artists. Yeah. Doobie Brothers, Little Feet. Right. And uh, they said, we want to sign you. Is it, is it hard to break through, like for, for any good to just form? Not if you're good. <laughs> you gotta have faith in yourself, you know. It's you hard. Keep at it. A lot of people get together, you know, and they change members every other week. You know, they go, oh, who are they this time, you know? Right. You gotta stick together and just keep working. We've seen um, on the film clip, especially if you really got me, and uh, that, that it's a pretty dynamic sort of light show on that. I mean, is that like it is on stage? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah even better now because we have more lights. We're making more money now. Right. <laughs> but as a supporting actor, kind of limited to the lighting that you can use. Yeah. But uh, you know, as we you know keep going and the headlines gets bigger and bigger, you know. on that Monday. Um, so when was this then? Yeah, about three weeks ago. Oh, that's it. Two weeks ago. And we went in Monday, rehearsed. Tuesday we rehearsed. Wednesday and Thursday we recorded. I guess about four or five songs. And then we took off because we had to write some, new, some more songs. So you yeah. didn't have all the material written then? No, not at all, actually. No, no. Well, that last thing that you heard with the... The poppy one, that yeah. one we just wrote uh, like three days ago mm -hmm. in the studio. I just had this riff. Mm -hmm. 
Actually, here's how it used to go. <laughs> It's just totally different, you know. And, uh, well, we just cut the fat off, you know, made it simple. And everybody goes, hey, yeah, it's called Dance the Night Away. Did you think that the first album was going to do as well as it did? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? The next one might bomb. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about the next one. The first one, I had no idea. You know? Even though we took the same approach on this one. Because uh, I, I really feel a lot of people tend to write songs. Like I just said, you know, with the song, you know, you know, AM offering. or But it really didn't. It wasn't planned that way. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't think pop, you know, we didn't think AM song. It was just a riff that I had and we put it to use mm -hmm. and we just wrote it the way it sounded. I mean, I can't help it if I come up with a poppy sounding <laughs> riff, you know. <laughs> but we, we never have that, that's not our concept, you know, we just do what we come up with as opposed to forcing ourselves to write something commercial. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. It's like some of the stuff like that, I don't know. You know, I, Probably never get in here. <laughs> but that's what I that's what I really like. I uh -huh. get off on playing that stuff. I like the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's also got, you know, interesting changes to it, so it keeps it keeps it alive, so Hey! 
Neil came down to pictures, you know what I mean? So was sure. Came down to pictures of us in the studio. And uh, that's how we record, man. Just, uh, I used almost everything I use on stage. Yeah. Only I used my old Marshalls as opposed to brand new ones that I use on stage. I don't like using the old ones on, on stage because I've lost them before. And they sound, you know, to, to my ear, you know, they sound so good. I put them in the closet <laughs> and I'm done. Leave them there. Yeah. So then there wasn't a lot of overdubbing then? Oh, not at all. There are 10 songs on the album. Three of them have the daughter over there. Mm -hmm. The rest are loud. What's the album called? Uh, Van Halen. Is it? Two. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say it, you said it. <laughs> no, it's going to just have the logo on the front and on top where it says Van Halen. You know, like on that one. Uh -huh. It'll say two, Van Halen two. Just so the audience or the people know uh -huh. that it's not the first one, it's the second one. Right. But we don't mean to, to bill it as Van Halen 2, like Queen 2. Or right. sound that you had in the first album because it was so successful. <clears throat> I mean, the band obviously has its own sound, but I mean, you didn't constantly try to write another one with the devil, or... Right? No. <clears throat> I mean, you heard the tape. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. sound... The songs yeah. aren't all the same. Yeah. No. I just want to hear you say it. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not at all like that. And, well, like the first album, too, we didn't consciously write the devil. It just came up. Mm -hmm. Just let me. It wasn't like, hey, we need a song with the bass going, <laughs> you know. It's just the way it happened, and I'm I'm real happy with this record because it's it, it still sounds like Van Halen, which is you know three instruments and, and voices with very few overdubs, very mm -hmm. live and sounding. Um, you mentioned you, you as like opposed you, to like other bands I've heard. <laughs> 
without mentioning any names, you know, they do tend to try and redo their first album. You know, they go, oh, wow, we did it with that one. We follow the same format, which right. we didn't do at all. Right. You know, if you, when the record comes out, when it'll be all sequence, you know, I bet you won't, it won't be at all at the first mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned outside that you really like the sound of this album. Yeah, it's just much fuller. Uh, Mike, you know, used a much smaller amp, and for some, also Ted, Ted and Don, Ted Templeman's producer, Don Landy's the engineer. You know, I guess for the first record, they weren't, they weren't quite sure of what we wanted. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they weren't too familiar with their sound. Now they are. So it's just, you know, I guess growing. You know, mm -hmm. we've both grown. We play better, we write better, and they in turn know how to bring the sound out better mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. Ooh, Yeah. 
Women in Love. That's a trippy one. <laughs> I mean, it's all the lyrics. You can look at it two ways, kind of. It's like a guy was going out with a chick, and as opposed to the conventional way of losing a chick to a guy, he loses his chick because his chick runs off with another chick. <laughs> you know, women in love. But, you know, if you're not listening carefully, it sounds like woman in love, you know, just uh-huh. a chick running off with another guy. But it's, you know, a little extra twist to it because the chick leaving the guy for another chick as opposed to the guy. Which one is that? Uh, that's someone who you didn't hear the intro, but has a harmonics for the intro. Uh-huh. sounds different and I double track it too so it, it kind of gets you know, what a harmonizer does uh-huh you know it kind of sounds like I used a harmonizer but I didn't all I did was double it with a you know no, oh, I, I actually I used a strat on that too uh-huh. a regular strat it sounds really neat that's the only that's the only other guitar I used was a I have a uh, I put it together myself I got a few I got a tally picked up in the back uh, you know, bats, bats, something else, and all that stuff. And I just had a jump body laying around. I threw it together in like a day. <laughs> and I, I had a damn electron that could have put on it. Yeah. See those? Yeah. We'll take another call. You know. Let's take another call. All right, we got Vicky. She's in New York City listening to PLJ. Hey, Vicky, you're on Rockline. Okay, um, for David. Okay, I love you guys. You guys are wildly crazy. Oh, and David, I want to know, where did you learn to get your strength? Well... I learned to get my scream while I was doing push-ups, and <laughs> she got me in the figure four leg lock, and somebody knocked on the door. Wow. There <laughs> win. I couldn't look over my left shoulder for two weeks, honey, I'll tell you, you know? It's tough out there on the road, one thing after another. Are you with us, Vicky? I am. the 
all your experimentation, was there ever anything that didn't work? Like, do you have a whole graveyard full of instruments that... Yes. destroyed many, many actual vintage guitars, uh, taking just choice pieces out that I wanted for this and that. But, uh, so then finally, okay, then I had the guitar built, and uh, uh, I guess one of the most uh, often asked questions is what prompted the, the uh, paint job. Uh, that I have no answer for, except that uh, I'm sitting there with a blank piece of wood with a guitar. It sounded great. It did everything I wanted. Uh, and I painted it black. And um, I'm going, this looks kind of boring. And there's some tape laying there. And I just start taping it up, take a razor blade, just cut pieces out, and, and spray painted it white. And took it all off. And I'm going, this is kind of cool. Yeah. And it was really as simple as that. There was no, uh, I have to make a piece of art, you know? Even though it's 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 interesting looking, and and then later on, uh, the red guitar is the same guitar as the white one. Uh, I, I taped over it again and spray painted it red. But, uh, and that led to a lot of people kind of copying, you know, the well, graphic it, it, design. It, it became standard in in the industry. All of a sudden, everybody was making a single. I mean, uh, a humbucking in a strat uh, style body. But there are so many other things that I did. Uh, like potting the pickup, uh, which, okay, if you, if you get unwanted high squeal feedback, you know, like if you ever watch a public speaker and you get this real annoying, you know, uh, I'm not talking about the good kind of feedback when you're playing, <laughs> I'm talking about annoying high squeal. Now, I have no idea what, what prompted me to think this, but I was thinking, okay, coil windings, very thin copper wire around these plastic uh, things with a magnet. And I'm going, maybe it's the little coil things vibrating. So I proceeded to uh, get a, em empty one of my mom's U-Man coffee cans and went to the store and bought some paraffin wax and uh, cut a hot plate and again proceeded to ruin many pickups because I forgot that the pickup bobbins, you know, the, 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 the black and white part you can see there, that they're plastic. So, and I didn't know what temperature to dip them at, so I melted a lot of pickups. And then I figured, okay, I'll just hold on to it. And as soon as I see an inkling of shrivel, I'm going to yank it out. And it worked. And people still that use became, that technique? That became a standard in the business now, too. Every, every company does that. It's like all the stuff that comes out of your mad scientist brain. Or is given to me from somewhere. I don't know. That I'm absolutely certain was all right.
you know, uh, uh, say the crossing of Gibson with the fender was a conscious, uh, you know, out of necessity because there was no guitar on the market did what I wanted. So that was a necessity. The paint job is not a necessity. Uh, potting the pickup, I have no idea what made me think that. Uh, so then I had a guitar, uh, and I used to work at a music store uh, delivering candles and organs, and one day a Marshall amp comes in. And I've only seen pictures of these things, you know. Only Eric Clapton, gods play these, you know, not, not kids on the street. Um, uh, and I said, I gotta have that amp. So uh, I worked all summer to buy that amp, and uh, we were already too loud, as it were. Okay. I'm sure your now, neighbors loved you. Now I have a hundred watt Marshall that was so damn loud that I did everything from face it backwards to leave it face down, you name it. And then we'd be auditioning in the clubs, and nah, your guitarist is too psychedelic, too loud, and too much uncontrolled energy, and blah 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 blah, you know, all this stuff because I was just too damn loud, okay? I saw an ad in the paper for another Marshall head, and I'm going, well, maybe this one will be different. Well, it certainly was, because when it showed up and I plugged it in, it didn't work. But I left it on, okay? What I didn't realize was that this thing was from England, and it was 220 volts. So I plugged it into the wall, and it was set. I, I didn't bother to look in the back until later, but it was set on 220. So it took a long time for it to warm up at, at half, half voltage. And when I picked up my guitar, I'm going, it sounds incredible, but incredibly quiet. It was, it was so quiet that only my, my dog and I could hear it. You know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I started, it dawned on me, I'm going, wait a minute, the voltage, okay, I can control the level of the amp output by voltage. So I proceeded to try to hook it onto the, the light dimmer at the house and blew the power out, and so on and so on. So finally I went to this place called Dow Radio in Pasadena on Colorado Boulevard and asked, do you guys make any kind of industrial uh, variable transformer, like a, a huge light dimmer, you know? And uh, yeah, they said, yeah, we got this thing called a Variac. And uh, I said, okay, cool. So I take it home and I plug the amp head into it so, and I would lower the voltage from 110 down slowly down to 100. The lowest I ever really want was like 60. Depending on the size room you're playing, uh, I'd set it anywhere between 60 and 100. And that became, because the only way the amp sounded good was with everything all the way up. And if it was running at 110 volts, it was just so damn loud, you know. So that became my volume knob. When we used to play guitars, I'd have down to 60 volts. If we played someone somewhere a little bit bigger, I'd crank it to 80. And, uh, and uh, for recording, the sweet spot seemed to be 89 degree, 89 uh, volts.
like those kind of high heels too. You know? No, 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 no! Don't take them off. Don't take leave them on. Yeah, that's it. A little more to the right. support yourself that that's what you were going to do for a living and you were going to make records and follow in the footsteps of who would you follow for me it started with the beatles actively when i saw the beatles on ed sullivan i knew i was going to be in a rock band of some sort and i knew it was i to the point where i was in two different lip sync bands just with the other kids where we would learn the beatle tunes mm-hmm. and then we would put on a show for the parents right. then we put on a show at the class, at the school uh, assembly, assembly mm-hmm. you know but we rehearsed it routinely we went through a thing and one of the guys one of the kids had a uh, an actual beetle suit uh-huh. you know like that i didn't sure. wear the beetle wig but you know it was very uh, we took it very structuredly We we wore the turtlenecks, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was the Dave Clark 5 look. Yeah. Dave Clark 5 for me. Yeah. At what point did we decide to do that? Um, I think when we played those first gigs as as the Broken Combs, you know, and you see what what kind of an effect you can have on people. Who who were the Broken Combs? Oh, it was Ed and and I and and three other guys. I I was on saxophone. We played at lunchtime at uh, Hamilton Elementary School. And we played at an assembly. Also, that assembly and some other some other yeah, stuff yeah, that we played at. Yeah. But the thing was that I, I know it sounds kind of shallow, but it's addicting to play in front of people that at the same time had that that exchange between an audience and a and a performer. It's greatly um, it's unpredictable. And of course, the girls. 
<laughs> it's a big part. That's the yes. first thing I remember. I was in fourth grade. We did that gig. I'm going, hey, man. All of a sudden, I got girlfriends. It's like Napoleon cool. Dynamite yeah. says, you got to have skills, man. You got to have skills. You ain't getting no girls. You got to pick what is. I'm clearly right there. I totally get that. so much an objective that we're trying to reach in terms of uh, where are we going with this it just it just happens sort of and, and i understand that nothing really happens by itself but i always dug the prep uh -huh. i always dug the rehearsal i always dug the designing the stuff and the it's like a like a pack of dogs going okay where are we going where are we going that's we even looked like each other at one point, when we started touring on the road, remember when we all had the same shoes oh, yeah. and, the, and the same leather jackets? We looked like the same my family. Too many times. Yeah. We all smoked the same cigarette. We used the exact same slang that was peculiar to ourselves. Do you follow? Mm. It's, we were we on all the same had, bus. We had the same bus, the same everything. Yeah, I see, that still trips me out to this day. All those years we were on the bus. Remember the bus in England? Oh, yeah. yes. When, oh. <laughs> Put the Halliburton's in the middle, and yeah, that was our bed. And, and I'll start to describe. Feel free to chime in. If the owl is the aisle way, there's two armrests here and two armrests where Ed is. And like climbing into a rocket module, you had to slide down sideways, put one leg over the armrest uh -huh. on top. One underneath. And one <laughs> She didn't believe me when I was no, telling her. this was an actual touring bus for tourists. <laughs> yeah. Not a tour bus. I mean, just the, seats, and the windows. part of the rock. And windows, you know, just a regular. You're doing a gig every day. And yeah. you had to slide your day. legs underneath. And we did 23 shows in 25 days. Yeah. Touring. I didn't yeah. even know England had that many cities. Neither did I. Huh? 
The only thing I remembered about England before I got there was Mark Twain's expression, 22 religions and one sauce. <laughs> it is one sauce, HP. first album went gold. Aberdeen, Scotland. That's right. And what happened, and what, and what, and what happened there? What happened there? Uh, After the gig? I don't recollect. Oh, man, we were doing human pyramids and trashed the hotel. We took uh, shoe polish and wrote our logo all over the walls and stuff. And the next morning, the cops came. And they searched. I don't remember. They escorted us out of the country. But for what reason? Not because we wasted their hotel. Why? Right because over. one of our crew stole a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> they searched every bus, and they, they and all we're saying is, "Hey, come on!" Somebody coughed up the damn pillow, and nobody coughed it this, up. This so sounds very us. familiar. They escorted like us one, to like the Rudy border or something. Yeah. Actually, it was Douglas Alexander. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the sound guy. <laughs> but they escorted us to the the the, the, the border and said, "Don't ever come back," and we never went back. Very familiar. I remember the pillow. Yeah. Somebody had swiped the thing. Yes. Well, we were all scared shitless because they thought we were nails for, for the damage to the hotel. It was just a damn pillow. I remember that. I this. thought that was hilarious. I remember we drank Glen Marange and I and I and I remember singing the, the lines over and over again. It was a tune wedgie. We couldn't I couldn't get it out of my head. You take the high road and I'll take the low road and we'll drink the Glen Marangi. You take the high road and I'll take the in volume good and you know, but I remember singing that all night as and as we marched around. Continuing saga of Van Halen. Their name grasped from the very jaws of disaster. Their very presence terrifying the innocent villagers. Yet their shadow remains. America, behold that which has grown from your own nexus. America, Van Halen.
right, I hope you enjoyed that. Tune in for part two. Don't forget to uh, stay metal to your dying breath and buy vinyl.